Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, timeless investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to follow along. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding Podcast, sitting next to the portfolio manager, the man, the myth, the legend, Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It is going great. What a intro. What an intro. We hope it's going great for everybody else as well. Hey, if this is the first time that you are checking in with us, be sure to hit that subscribe button, thumbs this video up, leave us a rating and review, check out all of our content. All I want for Christmas as we're coming to the end of 2019 is a rating and review. We put out a lot of free content. We have a lot of fun doing it. Uh, we all learn together. And if you want to pay us back in any way, uh, you could do that by leaving us a rating and review as that does go a very long way. Also, be sure to check out Focus compounding.com, which is our investing idea website. It's a community of like-minded investors that typically invest in overlooked stocks. Jeff is the one that contributes most to the website. Um, he writes probably about two to three different ideas a week on going over a bunch of different stocks. Um, they are all overlooked. And then other members as well contribute to the website as well. So it's a ton of fun. Uh, so be sure to check that out and join the premium side of things, Focused Compounding. In today's podcast, we are going to be doing our five stocks snap judgments. Say that five times fast. It's a bit of a tongue twister. Uh, I think it adds a level of practicalness to the podcast. It's a lot of fun. A lot of people like it. Uh, so we're definitely going to um, revisit it. If this is the first time that you have uh, listened to us doing this, we use quickfs.net. That is quickfinancialstatements.net. Uh, it's just a quick snapshot of the company. Um, it's a lot of fun and it's what Jeff and I use every single day. And the first stock we're going to be going over is Lotus Bakeries. OTC, ticker L-T-E-S-S-F. Uh, the last, uh, was the micro market cap of it is about $2 billion. Now, this is uh, this trades in the Netherlands, right. so I don't know if that's $2 billion U.S. dollars. I mean, it says dip display currency is USD. Uh, but Lotus Bakery provides various snack products in Belgium, France, Sweden, and the Netherlands, France, and the United Kingdom, and internationally. Uh, the company offers biscuits and cakes. Sounds something like something that we would personally like. Um, ice cream, caramelized biscuit spreads, um, and it sounds like they pretty much do all that. Uh, they were founded in 1932, and they're headquartered in Belgium. Uh, so interesting company. Uh, current PE is 26 times, EV to free cash flow 76 times, 10-year uh, median margins for gross profit 41%, 10-year median margins for EBIT 13.5%, currently trading at a EV to sales of 3.3. Revenue, we have a 10-year CAGR of 6.2% um, and an EPS 10-year CAGR of 10.7%. Revenue, in 2009 was 381 million and in 2018 it was 633 million looking at the gross profit in 2009 it was actually 66 percent and then jump up to 68 percent in 2010 uh, but now it's about 40 percent in 2018 so that's something that i would definitely want to take a look at uh 10-year median returns for a return on equity 20 point five percent and return on invested capital about 16 percent um thoughts on this business yeah, so uh, I would guess it's an accounting thing. The uh, fact that in the early years that we're seeing, there was a gross margin in the 60-some percent, and then it dropped to like 40. 
probably an accounting adjustment because they're probably using IFRS and it's more likely that they'd have some, uh, it's more likely that it, I'd have to look more into how they're calculating gross margin in past years for that versus gap. But, um, uh, in terms of the years since then, the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years, it looks very normal for a, uh, big food company. So the only thing that's interesting about it that way is that the growth rate is really high. So like if we're looking at this, we're comparing it to craft or something like that. Yeah. It looks very normal on that kind of thing. It has a gross profit margin of around 40%. It has an EBIT margin of around um, 15% or something. Uh, those numbers could be each like 5% lower or something for a food company, but in that range, 35 to 40% and 10 to 15% even margin or something is normal. We could compare it to a lot of cereal companies, soup companies, whatever, you'd see the same sort of thing. Yeah. So that's not odd. Um, but what is odd is if it's as big as it, the market cap and everything says this is the revenue says it is and it has those sort of financial results and it's in developed markets like that um why is its growth rate so high now i yeah. know it talks a little bit about energy bars and yeah that's some what i was like saying that. it provides energy bars and flapjacks healthy snacks and breakfast breakfast cereal so maybe they're sort of capitalizing on i mean the energy bars i could see that but, but let's say like the <laughs> excuse me the 10-year revenue is up like uh six percent a year yeah we're seeing here okay it basically it, it doubled in like 10 years um for revenue to go up that much, now there could be currency conversion issues here, but that wouldn't, I don't think that would help them reporting it back into dollars, uh, if that's really what this is. And, but um, I would think that inflation can't be more than a couple percent in the markets that they're in. So that would mean that like units were going up, like they're actually selling 4% more biscuits a year. Uh -huh. That seems really high. Um, so, and I should point out when they say biscuits, it's very possible that they mean it in the. Um, British sense, so what Americans would call cookies, probably. Mm -hmm, that's why. Um, yeah, but still, uh, we're talking about. Uh, I don't know why it would grow that much. So it's interesting. Uh, but most of the companies that are similar to that. Um, Let me see what the logo looks like on this company. You think you've seen is that Lotus? Is that is that what they always give away on airlines? Like the special biscuits, you know? Or is it? I don't okay. know. Doesn't it look like that. Maybe not. I don't know what they give away. It is. Those things are incredible. That is what they give away. You know, on on, on uh, airplanes. Like Delta, I know, gives American Airlines. Maybe they away. do. I yeah. fly Southwest, so yeah. they don't give yeah, that Yeah, they away. do. See, I knew I recognized. Okay. Yeah, I remember being, yes. So I remember being so young. And maybe that's the key, that they're all giving away on airlines. There you go. All uh, right, maybe it could be. I don't know this uh, brand well enough. I recognize, but when you show the logo, I recognize that yeah. it is a yeah. logo that I've seen before. But I don't know. Um, so we would have to learn about it. It gives a bunch of the different... Um, return on invested capital is then pretty stable. Yeah, and what you'd expect too. Mm -hmm. So return on invested capital is double digit, but between ten and twenty percent or something. I mean, these numbers are all very, very similar to what you'd expect for any big uh, packaged food type company or like a, a like sort of like a bakery company. But uh, there are some that are better than that. Like we looked at Hostess brands or something. Yeah, that's a little unique what it has or or McKee Foods or whatever. Um, those are a little different and probably have somewhat better economics than this. Mm -hmm. um, just because like the price per unit of what they're actually doing is incredibly high. They're sold in really small packages, you know, yeah. like as a convenience sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And this probably isn't sold like that. But um, it's interesting. Uh, it's not cheap, though. Right? No. So EV to sales that we're seeing here is 3.3. .3, but it's not unusual. Three is a number that I see a lot for. And we'd want an EBIT margin of at least, I mean, 30%. 
33% yeah. like the average, I guess. Now in terms of their growth, it's fine. It's not overpriced really compared in terms of their growth because historically a, a food company could go for three times sales, um, EV to sales, if it was growing as much as they are. I mean, this company seems to be growing as much as the overall economy, yeah. if not even slightly better in mm-hmm. the European markets that it's in. So, I mean, that's very interesting. It's, it's growing at the sort of rates that food companies grew 20 years ago or something, but haven't been growing lately. So it's interesting. Uh, it doesn't look obviously cheap, but compare if you had to buy something in, in of this industry, I guess it would be something I'd definitely look at. Yeah, definitely take a look yeah. at it. Next, company, WabTech Corporation, ticker WAB, market cap $14.5 billion. Uh, let's see, technology-based equipment systems and services for the freight rail and passenger transit vehicle industries worldwide. Um, let's see, current PE 65 times, current EV to free cash flow 85 times. Uh, this definitely looks cheap, doesn't it? Uh, that's a joke. Um, EV, let's see, EV to sales, 2.7. That's not bad. Though. No, that's not yeah. bad. And 10-year median margins on EBIT, about 15%. Uh, 10-year median returns on return on equity, 17%. Return on invested capital, 14%. 10-year CAGR for revenue, about 11%, going from $1.4 billion in 2009 to $4.3 billion in 2018. Um, let's see. The 10-year median margins for gross profit is right around 29%, uh, which has been pretty stable. It's ranged from 28 to it looks like it had a peak of about 32 in 2015. Uh, but pretty stable business. Free cash flow, 10-year CAGR, about 5%. EPS, about 9%. Um, thoughts? Yeah, so just read the very last sentence. Uh, let's see. Where are we at? Wabtech Corporation was founded in 1869 and is headquartered in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Right. So this is Westinghouse Airbrake is the what the original company is. I'm sure that's what the WAB part of it stands for. Um, so uh, it's a very, very old company based on some key inventions uh, that were huge in the railroad industry and changed it in North America. And they have a very strong position in that. Now, all the stuff that we're seeing recently is a little different because they've now, uh, and they're very heavy in North America, very heavy in freight. Um, what they're in now, though, is going to be more diversified because they acquired uh, G, I guess they call it G Transportation. Yeah. Yeah. So they um, acquired GE's uh, local, the business that serves locomotives and stuff. Um, and that will have more freight, uh, more transit stuff involved with it too. But it'll also just be more around the rest of the world too, I think. Um, and so it, the reason why it might be something that people who are interested in overlook stocks and that sort of thing would be interested in, it's kind of a spinoff in a way. Because basically GE uh, owned the company that Wabtech took over. And GE had some of it go to shareholders as a spinoff, basically, and some of it be GE itself, which is an overhang of stock that will probably be sold off over time and stuff. Actually, I think there was, I don't remember, I think there was an agreement where they have to sell it by certain dates. Um, so it's kind of like that. It, what ones have been similar to it recently? Uh, maybe Entercom, because Entercom took over CBS Radio and they did like a reverse Morris Trust or whatever, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, the same kind of category as that. So it's kind of like thinking about a spinoff. If you wanna, if you're interested in spinoffs, this is the kind of thing that you could look at. Very big company though. What what's the market cap on 14.5 it? Fourteen point five billion. Right, and then it has a bunch of debt too on top of that. Um, and I think it's two times debt I mean, to EBITDA, a little bit more than this that. Type of company that you do lever up, right? Yeah, so I think it's mostly levered up just to do acquisitions, but it would be fine to lever it up. It is cyclical, but it's not nearly as cyclical as the overall um, uh, rail industry. Uh, we can see, because we have in front of us um, return on invested capital over the years, it's been 
basically in like the 10 to 20% range for most years in the last 20 uh, years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it, and it actually has grown quite a bit too, but that's through doing kind of these tucking acquisitions that they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely compounded its value very nicely over the last 20 years. I'm sure the stock has. I mean, we don't have a stock chart in front of us. 65 times earnings though. Well, Betting that's complicated. Growth, right? No, I don't think those earnings are accurate. Got it. So I've looked at some things about what they talk about. Even their EBITDA is a little interesting because they do a like adjusted EBITDA thing. Or they do EBITDA. I think they call it adjusted EBITDA. How many words does it take for them to define Well, EBITDA? that's the interesting thing. They don't <laughs> adjust out some of the deal expenses. So oh, almost wow. every company that I've seen adjusts for the deal stuff by saying, like, um, they'll when they have their EBITDA, they don't include in it stuff that has to do with, um, get, you know, sort of. Like, for instance, um, they did a previous acquisition a little while ago where they acquired a company that was bigger in Europe. And what was interesting is they had some cash charges associated with, like, a lot. And I thought, does this mean that they're, like, firing employees in, in Europe and stuff and having to pay severance, which yeah. might have been it. If that is what it was, they weren't taking that out of the EBITDA they were talking to analysts about and stuff. Now, wow. I'm sure analysts can adjust for all that stuff themselves, and they give guidance on what the future will be and whatever. But I just mean they're fairly conservative on those kinds of measures. The reported earnings, obviously, could be really messy because of this huge uh, acquisition. It really is similar. To, I mean, Entercom's more extreme because CBS Radio was actually quite a bit bigger than Entercom. Uh-huh. But if you look at it, this is almost a half-and-half half deal, depending on how you look at it, like in terms of profit or versus revenue or something. Maybe there's more profit in the web tech, but it also depends on the cycle, where we are in the cycle. But at worst, it's like they acquire something that's a third of the business now. At, at the most, it's more like half. Oh, wow. right? So it's a huge transformative acquisition. It's like a merge of equals sort of thing. Interesting. Um, it, it has a great position. Uh, in terms of the installed base and things like that. So uh, I would actually be very, very interested in this company. Doesn't have a low beta, doesn't have low share turnover, isn't really overlooked. Everybody knows the stock. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't know about all that for us. I also think it's probably a good point in the cycle um, because I think that they'll earn higher returns on capital. You say, if you look at return on invested capital, it's kind of at the lower end the past yeah. couple of years. Mm-hmm. And I think it's not bad in terms of uh, those sorts of things. They have a very, very high market share for some uh, aftermarket stuff. Uh, so incl- not just air brakes and stuff, but other things too. So, uh, I'd be very interested in them and, and to learn more about them. Yeah. Interesting. Next company, Meritage Hospitality Group, ticker MHGU trades over the counter market cap, 125 million. Uh, they operate quick service and casual dining restaurants. Uh, the company operates restaurants under the Wendy's twisted rooster, crooked goose, Friders eatery, and tap room and wheelhouse kitchen and cocktail brand names. Um, let's see. They're headquartered in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Current PE is around 10 times. Um, we have 10-year median returns of return on equity around 30 um, 30%, pretty good returns. Uh, 10-year median margins on EBIT, about 4%. EV to sales, 0.6%. Um, so we'd want at least in the neighborhood of 6%, which I guess that's kind of, if you know, kind of close to it. Uh, revenue, we got a 10 year CAGR of 23% going from 58 million in 2006 to 435 million in 2018. That is some massive growth. Uh, but if you look at 10 year CAGR and assets, that's, that's also about 21%. So it's yeah. kind of in line with that, yeah. uh, which kind of stands out to me, uh, gross margins, uh, for the past, I would say since 2012, they've been in the 40% area, uh, pretty stable, um, uh, let's see. Yeah. Any thoughts on the company? 
Sure. So I had you read the last line with uh, Wabtec to clear something up that it's Westinghouse Airbrake. Uh, here, let's explain what for ev everyone, you know, in these business description, what does quick service mean? Uh, QSR, quick service restaurant. So literally like I think of like Chipotle, think of Wendy's, fast think food. of Mc yeah, yeah, everyone in America yeah. calls it McDonald's, fast food, except yeah. for investors who, in the industry that yeah. calls it quick service. Yeah. Yeah. And casual dining. What's your favorite QSR? Chick-fil-A. And it's not even close. I like Chick-fil-A yeah, a lot. Chick -fil -A. Actually, yeah, Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Um, and, and casual dining just, you know, is a uh, basically a, some form of low-end um, uh, restaurant that isn't a quick service restaurant. Yeah. So um, I assume these are mostly Wendy's. Right? Yeah. Yep. I assume these yep. are overwhelmingly Wendy's. Yeah, I'm sure. So I, I've never heard of Twisted Rooster. Right. Or, but, or Crooked Goose. But here's the thing. Some of these, we, like we have Mrs. heard of yeah. some things here in Dallas-Fort Worth area yeah. that they haven't heard of in the rest of the uh, country, and they yeah. will if it expands beyond it, yeah. including some things that have been acquired by other companies and stuff. It operates 332 restaurants in Arkansas, Connecticut, Florida, Georgia, in Indiana, Massachusetts, Michigan, mm -hmm. Missouri, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, Ohio, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, and Virginia. Right. Most of those states being places where I, if they had concepts, I wouldn't know much about them. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to assume that it's mostly Wendy's, which could be wrong. Probably. Um, so, well, I don't know how else they would grow that fast mm -hmm. with acquiring things because they're clearly acquiring things. Mm -hmm. So we could just go over some of this stuff. So their asset growth is way too high. So we can just tell some of these things. So if return on invested capital says it's about 8%, there's no historical free cash flow generation at all. Assets have gone up 20, what's that say, 21% uh, a year? Yep. And revenue about the same amount. Yeah. That stuff probably tips you off to they're acquiring stuff and they're doing it using a lot of debt. Are they using a lot of debt right now, let's say? Uh, so price to sales is, yeah. It's a little bit. Okay. Price to sales is 0.3, EV to sales is 0.6. It seems like a little bit, but let's think about these. Do they own the restaurants and the underlying real estate probably? If you're a McDonald's franchisee, do you own it or does McDonald's own it? McDonald's. Okay. So they're probably using a lot of debt, I'm assuming, and on top of having leases. It could be wrong. Maybe they're using a lot of debt and they so own things outright. Value really cool. But okay. <laughs> but I just think that if they're doing that, then um, it's a lot more leveraged than you might think. And so then it's very, very yeah. leveraged to things like same source sales stuff. Oh, also, wow. yeah, the market cap, 125 million enterprise value, which of course accounts for debt, uh -huh. 621 million. Okay. Um, that to EBITDA, 12 times, right? 11.81. But that might be because of the recent accounting things. About With the leases? leases. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, but I'm assuming that because I don't think they have 12 times financial debt. Again, this is just a snap judgment. We right. know nothing about the business. Don't. And also, that. with so there's a few things. So first of all, I would use EBITDA. So earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, <laughs> amortization, and rent. Yeah. And I would use leases there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so, so earnings before all your expenses. Or before all your expenses. <laughs> yeah. But I would add back your leases to it. Yeah. I, I would definitely do that when looking at something like this. Um, and that's what they have to uh, cover. But the other thing is with the free cash flow, if you look at that, that free cash flow looks very low for a restaurant company. Sure. What that probably means is they, they buy things and then they put in unusually high amounts of CapEx, just a guess, or they actually build them. So if you build a new restaurant, then that would have a lot of CapEx. Your free cash flow, the way it's calculated here, would look poor. Also, if you took over an underperforming one and you refurbished it or something, same thing would happen. So if they're either taking over underperforming stores and then refurbishing them, or they're building completely new ones, this would happen. The way free cash flows usually calculate websites, if they were acquiring things, it wouldn't show up that way. Um, mm -hmm. So this is some sort of roll-up. Yeah. 
Uh, which normally, of, I mean, we've been asked that before. If a company is very uh, acquisition prone, do you account for that as capbacks, essentially? You have to. It's yeah. clear. Like, here, just start with what was the revenue in 2006? Uh, 58 million. Yeah, you could tell. Okay, and what's like crazy. What is it in 2018? 435 million. Okay, yeah, so it quadrupled. Growth. Yeah. Massive. So growth. in 10 years, it's grown 23%, 10 year Kager. Okay. So I didn't have to do that. That's good. I did that in my head. <laughs> very good. Very impressive. <laughs> so um, you could have figured that out, though, using the, you know, uh, the rule of 72 and all that. That it I like to do the easy way. Just, you know, no, by at looking it. at yeah, what yeah. it says. Yeah. <laughs> but just so people know why I was doing that. So I quadrupled in about 10 years. Um, uh, so I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. More than quadrupled. 10 year meeting increased returns? eightfold in, in 10 years. For return on equity, 30%. That's pretty impressive. Is it impressive? But how much is, is acquisition pro? I mean, because, you know. We can do the math. Nice. The return on assets was 5%. Yeah. The return on equity is 30%. So that means using six times leverage on assets. Now, some of your assets were funded by um, working liabilities, basically. So your return on invested capital was 8%. <coughs> Excuse me. If your return on equity is 30% and your return on invested capital is 8%, then we're talking about... Um, what is that? About four times leverage that you're normally using, which sounds about right. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, this is a financial engineering thing. Mm -hmm. And if you believe in management and you like the things that they're acquiring, it makes sense. There are potentially things that are very safe that way. One thing to keep in mind, if you have same-source sales going in the right direction, it works out great. If you have same-source sales going in the wrong direction, it works out badly with these things. So, uh, Because norm, that leverage, that operating leverage is very present in all restaurant companies sure. that don't use debt. Mm -hmm. So if you put debt on top of that, then the same store sales stuff becomes incredibly important and any negative trend in it, you have to watch it very, very carefully. Now, a positive trend can mean great things. If you have a great operator taking things over, improving them or building new ones and then having great same store sales, um, that could be a big success. This can be very messy, hard to figure out from the financial statements. I'm sure people are looking at it on like uh, adjusting it for probably using EBITDA and stuff like that and and building out a whole model mm -hmm. for it. Uh, it'd be interesting to look at that way. This is the kind of thing we that it excites a lot of value investors and doesn't really excite us usually. We're not usually that confident in management doing this like uh, buy and build thing and yeah. that sort of thing. We get asked about it a lot. Um, and we're usually not that company using a lot of debt, especially debt on a company that also has leases. I'm assuming this company has a lot of leases and debt both. Got it. Uh, next company, Synergistic Tech Inc., uh, ticker CTEK, market cap $28 million. Uh, What do they do? A cybersecurity company provides various services and solutions to help organ organizations in achieving privacy, security, and compliance goals for healthcare industry. Um, current PE, two times. Mm -hmm. EV to free cash flow, three times. 10-year uh, CAGR on revenue, 13%. 10-year CAGR on free cash flow, 18%. Gross profit, 10-year median margins, 19%. Uh, EBIT, 10-year median margins, 1%. And return on equity right around 4.5% for the past 10 years. Uh, revenue, as I said, 13% uh, 10-year CAGR going from $16 million in 2009 to $71 million in 2018. Um, looking at the gross margins, it looks like it dipped down from 2009 at 25% to 2012 uh, of 13%, but then it's been on the rise ever since, uh, now at 29%. Change its name in 2017. Can you get me, uh, if you go up to the statements thing, where you can pick out where you want to go, yeah. Can you click, no, no, that one, the overview thing. Can you pick that, switch that one to something that will show me shares outstanding? Will key ratios do it? Will balance sheet? Will, Let's we'll do see, it. maybe key ratios. Okay. Um, da, 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 for cash flow, no, no. A no. diluted share. What? Where? 
I'm looking with one eye. That's okay. uh, Mike. Uh, there we go. shares. Yeah. Diluted shares. Okay. Okay. Hmm. So year over year growth. That's Ex puzzling to me. Tell me what you're seeing. Tell me what you're seeing. So I'm seeing that it grew <laughs> for a while and then it hasn't grown that much. Now it still has grown a lot, but let's not get this wrong. It's grown way too fast. It's a diluted share count for a company that I would ever invest in. However, I still don't understand if we go back to the main page, yep. uh, I still don't understand the things that I'm seeing here. So if we look, I'm seeing a 10 year Kager in, uh, take assets. That's a good one to yeah, take. 21%. 21%. Uh, what is the return on equity? Return on equity, 10-year Kager? Yeah, 10-year uh, median. median margin, 4.5%. Uh, and that's the highest of any of them because that includes debt stuff because if you look, return on invested capital, return on assets. Yeah, it's very messy. So how do you do that? Um, I see that the enterprise value to sales is lower than the price to sales so they don't have debt. Uh, how did they increase their assets and their revenue by that much without increasing their share count by that much when their returns are so poor? Mm -hmm. Don't know. I don't know if there's something wrong with the data. If I don't understand things, if they issued a lot of stock when their stock was expensive, and um, that's how they did it. Uh, but it had to have come from funding from, it just has to have come from funding from shares. Shares diluted in 2009. It looks like uh, if this is in millions, it is. Yep, 6 million. And in 2018, it's 10 million. Yeah, the question is just how much they got from that. We could actually see on the cash flow statement if you, if you can do that really fast. I yep. don't know if you can. Um, so you can actually see it inflow from, uh, ish, so issuance of stock. Where is it from? Not issuance of common stock. That's not right. So I don't know. There might be something wrong with the data and stuff. Um, it, it's not interesting to me, uh, issuing way too much stock over time, but I don't even, even with that, I don't know how they grew as fast as they did. If their returns are really that low, that could be inaccurate that the returns are that low, but I don't know. Interesting. Um, yeah, they changed their name. It just nothing about this would be something that we'd look. <clears throat> Last one. Okay. Something that we were customers of. I put this one up there because I thought it'd be interesting to talk about mm -hmm. and because I think a lot of people will be familiar with it. Okay. Value lining. Yeah. Yes, they are a public company. Those big old books, a value line, ticker mm -hmm. V-A-L-U. Market caps is uh, $267 million. Um, I think everybody knows what value line is. I hope so. Uh, they sell investment, um, you know, publications and stuff like that. Uh, obviously, go to your library. They have them. I have the small cap one that I ordered a couple years ago. Oh. Uh, so that was fun. Uh, PE ratio currently trading at 23 times earnings. EBIT free cash flow 21 times. 10-year median margins on EBIT 6.4%. EBIT to sales is 6.5%. So we would want 65% even margins, essentially. <laughs> um, let's see, what else? 10-year median margins for gross profit, 84%. Obviously very stable, uh, and they used to actually be better. 10-year uh, CAGR for revenue, negative 6%. Going from 58 million in 2010 to 36 million in 2019. Yeah, although Guys like Focus Compounding are putting <laughs> them out of business. Uh, although they shrank their assets, too. Which yeah, is good. So yeah. ten, a 10-year kegger that has shrinking assets is, is nice to see. Um, I love the product. Uh, my favorite podcast ever used the product. Yeah. And then they complained to them and they stopped so using it. If you know why this company's go done bad, that's why. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They, they have a... Yeah. Let's see what the stock's done. Uh, yeah. Keep talking. Okay. So... Um, I, I don't know. This one's a little complicated. We use this kind of product. So it gets like a little bit more complicated in terms of what we know about it what i, I there are things about the culture value line that worry me to like be completely what, the honest family? uh no i'm not gonna talk about that uh, <laughs> the stock's actually done quite well 
It looks like in. Uh, it was a very cheap stock. In 2015, it was twelve dollars and thirty cents. Now it's uh, twenty-eight dollars. Yeah. Um, so. I I think they're very aggressive about squeezing every last dollar of what they have, um, and you think their their products expensive? Yeah, they have an eighty two percent gross margin. Yeah, they had it when they were mostly a print uh, company. Yeah. yeah, I think it's expensive, but I think it's worth every penny. Sure. sure, the value line investment survey, the the small cap one is not that great, but the actual printed out one and stuff, yeah, yeah. And in terms of what people could learn from and stuff, getting the printed out one getting mailed to you every a week or whatever um, so that you cycle through everything every quarter. Yeah. I think it's way better than using a site like Guru Focus, Morningstar, uh, any of those sorts of things. We're using QuickFS right now. Uh, to look up things is fine, but like it's a thing to be aware of all stocks and to have time to go over, to go over five minutes with each thing like that. It would be a great habit for people to have. I think it's great. I will recommend their product. Um, I will not recommend the stock. I will not recommend the stock. Out of all the five stocks that we took a look at today, Lotus Bakeries, uh, Webtech Corporation, uh, Meritage Hospitality Group, Synergistic Tech, and of course, Value Line. Which stock would you be most inclined to do further research on? Webtech. Webtech. And why is that? I think it's the best business with the best future. Best business, best future. Not overlooked. No. Not overlooked. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Mr. Jeff and myself on this five-stock Snap Judgment podcast. Of course, this is a Snap Judgment. If you know the business more than us, you probably should. Uh, but if you want to update on us or send us stuff, send me an email, info at focuscompound.com. Yeah, talk about any of the stocks we talked about. Yeah, that's the best Tell part about doing this is, is a lot of people generously yeah. uh, you know, send me a, you know, emails on you know, kind of their due diligence on the stock, of course, like I said, because it's just a snap judgment. But I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and myself. Be sure to go to focuscompounding.com. On the homepage, sign up for our email list, a weekly or bi-weekly, we haven't decided yet, email list <laughs> that goes out. We give out a free idea. And then we also talk about the stocks. Get uh, a free write-up, the whole thing. Yeah, free write-up. Yeah, like 2,000 words or something. And yeah. we talk about the stocks that are written up on the uh, website. And we also give a revisit price of when we will like to revisit the company in the future. And most of the time, obviously, that's if this stock falls. But I want to thank everybody so much. Uh, make sure you hit that subscribe button, thumbs this video up, leave us a rating overview, and we will see you in the next podcast. Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to follow along.